0: This is going to be a good day. We, we are finishing our series called My Near-Death Experiment. And in it, we have been talking about the reality that we're all going to end up in a coffin one day. Like, it's not morbid. It's, not, it's just real. We're all going to die. The question is, how are we living in the meantime? And we've probably had encounters with people, or we've had near-death experiences. And after people have a near-death experience, they see life in a new way. And they have this renewed focus and this renewed passion. And they see the things that matter most. and They want to focus on what really matters and, and have a passion for life. And so we've been talking for six weeks about how we have that kind of passion, that focus, that living for what really matters and is most important, without having to need the trauma and the tragedy to get us there, right? So as we've talked about this, I thought, I I heard a story of a friend of mine named Margie, and her story and her life just point to this reality. She's had one of those experiences, and she lives different now, and I wanted her to share a little snapshot with you this morning, so would you welcome Margie to share it?
1: So through a series of unfortunate events, um, I ended up in the ICU in Aspen uh, after I flatlined in the ambulance. And um, it, was, it was a moment where it's like all of a sudden you just know this is it. Like you're done. Like there's like a, something that clicks and you just know it's done. Um, and it's like um, all this stuff is going on around you. Um, that you're not really totally um, aware of, and then all of a sudden somebody just like flips this huge switch, and bam, like you're on the outside of your body watching these people work on you, Um, which is very bizarre. Um, And no, I wasn't doing drugs or alcohol. Um, (laughs) But what's really crazy at that point is that all of my life, since I was a little girl, um, my greatest fear was that I would die all alone, that there wouldn't be anybody there to hold my hand. And there I was, you know, my worst fear. I was all alone. There wasn't anyone there um, to hold my hand. Um, But oddly, I I wasn't afraid. I I had this real sense of peace. Like it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and this is the part where you think that you would be making deals with God and you'd say, Hey, if you let me live, you know, I'll do X, Y, and Z, or Hey, if you let me live, I won't do X, Y, and Z, you know? Um, but I didn't make any deals with God. I just, I just had this sense of peace. Um, and the next thing I knew, I woke up in, um, this glass enclosed ICU room. Um, I say, um, if you're going to die, Aspen's the place. Um, Saying you died in Detroit doesn't sound that great. <laughs> but anyhow, I had been, um, like, uh, for a couple days um, in there. And I, I suddenly started to come back, you know, through things. And I woke up, it was pitch black. It was like the middle of the night. And all that was going on were these um, beepers and everything that I was hooked up to. and um, And I was all alone. And all of a sudden, the room just filled with this huge light like it was it was really bright it was it wasn't like a scary light it was a light that was like really warm and like really embracing and it just felt so peaceful and then I heard this voice say you're not done yet and that was the moment that everything changed that was the moment that I knew that, you know, the verse came to my mind about, um, well, be still and know that I'm God, but also, you know, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forget it, you know, just forget it. Just move forward to what God has planned for you. Um, and so I, I just forgot. I just put it all aside. I, I, I just let it go. I let everything go that, you know, my mother had tried to kill me when I was four years old. Um, My husband had tried to kill me um, a couple of times while he was the um, men's ministry pastor at our church. And then here I was all alone in this room and God showed up and said, you're not done yet. I just thought, how awesome is that? Like, I'm going to live like so many of us walk around, you know, day to day. And we're really walking around flatlined. We're not really living. We're holding on to all this stuff that's choking the life out of us. And what I remember is, is that um, when when the voice said, um, you're not done yet, there was this, um, it was like a huge blanket, like physically draped over my body um, it was warm it just went from head to toe and then I got this huge my lungs filled with air like for the first time and I felt like um, I had just breathed my first breath of life and I, I think I really did because up into that point you know you're not really breathing I mean we walk around and we do our day-to-day things but this was like wow Um, I got it. Like, I totally got it. And because of all of that, I wake up every day and I'm like, thank you, God, for this bed. Thank you for my pillow. Thank you for, I mean, we take so much for granted. It's like even, you know, thank you, God, that I can comb my own hair. Like, my hair was a rat's nest in there. It was nasty. And just to be able to get out and brush my own hair was like a luxury. Um... And so I just, I live life differently. Not that I, not that I lived it bad before, but that I really, like every day is a party with God. Like, I'm just so happy to be alive. Um, That's awesome. Yeah.
0: And, and one of those things that what, what we've seen with different people have seen in you is that you, you really do kind of live with that expectancy and that passion. I and do. one of the things that God's given you is you're a good photographer and he gave you this idea. Tell, tell us about what you do.
1: Well, I take pictures, and um, I, I have written on these cards, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And it's just something that I do. Um, it's, I give these cards for free to anybody who will take a minute to handwrite a note of encouragement to somebody. It's like you never know. Um, that card might come on a day that somebody isn't sure they're going to make it. But because your card came... And you took the time to write it. They're going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so I have all these cards out there. And you can take as many as you want. They're all free.
0: Well, can we thank Margie for sharing? Thank you. Here's the thing. Is that if you're here and if you're still breathing, then you're not done yet either. I mean, God still has more for you. There's still more for you to do. And we've been talking for six weeks about what that looks like, that we awake to the reality that God is with us, that he he talks about what really matters in life. We get distracted by all kinds of silly things that don't matter, and they weigh us down, like Margie said, and choke us out. And he says, no, 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 only a few things really matter, right? And then we talked about how he's wired you uniquely, that we're all the same and that we're human and that we're going to die one day, that we reflect the image of God in some way, and yet we all do that uniquely. And he's got something for you that's unique that no one else will do. No one, there's no one else just like you. We talked about how words create worlds and we've, we've been through on this journey together and today I want to finish just with one, one simple idea and it's this. Did you know, are you really aware that God is passionate about you? That in fact, he celebrates that you exist. Zephaniah says it this way. The Lord your God wins victory after victory and is always with you. He celebrates and sings because of you. And He will refresh your life with His love. As we think about how to make the most of the time that we have, how to maximize today, how to live with passion and purpose, maybe it starts with just believing that God's crazy about you, that when He thinks about you, He sings that he celebrates your life. I understand this maybe a little bit more today because now Hillary and I have this little baby, Jack. This, thing, this kid is so freaking cute. I know anyone who has kids, your kid's the cutest kid in the world because our kid's the cutest kid in the world to us too. If you don't have kids, you just gotta like go with me for a second here anyway. This kid, he doesn't even do anything. Like he can't talk yet. He can't contribute or add value to society. He just is. But he makes me crazy. I can't help it. If you had like a little cam quarter in our house, you would think that we, Hillary and I, were stupid because we just make up dumb songs and we just sing about jack, jack, jackaroo. Jack. I don't even know. I just, I just <laughs> sing stuff. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what I'm doing. He just evokes that kind of passion. It's just, it's crazy. And so now I have a little glimpse of how crazy God is about you. You think, oh, he's got billions of people in the world. Yeah, but he's God. He feels that same way about you. He's passionate about you. He celebrates and sings over you. The next question then is, if if you can kind of get yourself to believe that, maybe ask yourself, when's the last time that you celebrated? When's the last time that you sang? Because my hunch is, when you really start to believe that God is passionate about you, that he sings over you. You will be more inclined to celebrate yourself. What makes you sing? What makes you dance? What makes you want to have a party? Some of you, I know you're in here and and you're still, you're, you're, you're here, and Jairus is up here, and there's words on the screen, and, and and you you stand up, and maybe you clap, and your mouth's moving, but nothing's really quite coming out yet. You're getting there, and maybe you think you're doing the people around you a favor, and maybe you are. You know, I mean, may, maybe maybe when the Bible says, make a joyful noise, that's all it is for you, is just noise, and that's okay. You You sing but I, I've, I understand, I've been there where I'm kind of just still trying to get there, still trying to figure out this God thing, and, and do I, how do I express that, am I really, you know, and you think, well, I, I sing in the car, like I get really excited about something just went down at work, and I sing in the car until that person pulls up and they see me, and then I, and I kind of shut it down a little bit, I never, I don't just stop singing, I just kind of slow it and turn my head, or maybe, maybe, maybe you sing when your favorite team wins. Maybe that's a big, that, that's what really gets you going. Your team won. They don't even have a real head coach, but they, they just won anyway. They're just, <laughs> I, what is it? Do you celebrate? Do you sing? Do you have that passion, that joy, that excitement in your life? Do you believe that God is a God who sings over you? And if you did, would it change? Would it change you? Would it change your life? Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he told this famous story. If you're new to church, you've probably still heard this story about the prodigal son. Where there's this guy that had two sons, and one of them was like the responsible one, and one of them was like the rebellious one. And the rebellious one came to him one day, and he said, You know what, dad? Basically, he really said this I wish you were dead. I just want my inheritance now. I want my stuff. I'm tired of living here under your roof and doing things your way. I'm going to go do things my way. And the dad broke cultural protocol and he actually liquidated his assets and he gave his son what was due him. And so the son takes all his dad's money with the family and the, and the, and the town and, and the rest of them just looking at him like, dude, you are crazy. What kind of criminal kid are you? And he left and he went to the city, he went to the big city and he just lived it up. He spent all his money throwing the, the, the parties that you, you know, that you think of when you think of parties. He, he drank it away. He did drugs. He was with prostitutes. He just spent all his dad's money on dumb stuff. So dumb, in fact, that you really realize how dumb it is when you run out of cash. When you run out of cash, you have a, you have a kind of a keen awareness of maybe I've been screwing things up. Maybe, maybe this is the wrong path for me after all. And so the kid runs out of all his money, and he's working with pigs, which is like the lowest form for a Jewish kid to be doing. He had... He, It was like he had reached rock bottom. And he's there working with kids, the pigs, and he can't even eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he comes to his senses and he says, you know what? Even the servants in my dad's house have a bed and they have food to eat. Even the servants. So he works up this plan. He goes, this is pathetic how my life has gotten to, the place it's gotten to. I'm just going to go home. Now, no one's going to like, they're not going to receive me. Uh, They're not going to like welcome me back. But at least maybe I can have a bed and a job. I'll just be a servant in my dad's house. And so he works his speech up, and he goes in, and he walks, and he's walking back to his home and to his village. And he's going through his talk in his head. Okay, Dad, you know, I'm really sorry. I screwed up. I did some dumb stuff. And as he's working on his talk, the Bible says that the father saw him from a distance. Saw him from a distance. Do you know what that means? It means that he'd been looking for him. He'd been looking for his son. And so he sees him at a distance, and he runs to him. He runs to the kid. All tattered clothes, and he doesn't, have, he doesn't know which way is up. He's just kind of straggling back. To his, his father runs to him, and it, he throws his arms around him. He puts his best robe on him, puts a ring, sandals, gets him cleaned up. And he says, this is my son who's home. You know what his next, next instinct was? To throw a party. Kill the fattened calf, he said. Get the, get the instruments and the singers. and get, We're throwing a party. For my son ran off and did his own thing, but he is home. Now, everyone else, the older brother and the other members of the family and the community, they thought that he was out of his mind. This is not a rational thing to do. You gotta sit him down and, and have a little talk with him and walk through like in my house, this is how things are gonna be from now on. Like you're gonna have to work your way out, and you can get maybe you can get like reacquire some equity in the family over a while, but but you are you are on the outside and that's not what he did. He threw a party. Because our God is a God of celebration. Our God is a God of festival. Our God is a God who parties. What was it that Jesus did? His first public miracle was to turn water into wine. He was at a wedding, and they ran out of of wine. And so his mom comes to him and says, Hey, hey, they're they're out of wine here. Um, Maybe you can do something. And Jesus is like, Oh, okay. Now, it would have been enough at that point, I think, just to give them like some really good water. Like, like Jesus could do any miracle, right? And so they have water. If it's from a well, they've never had like purified water. He just could have like aquafined that stuff, right? And they'd be pumped on some like pure drinking water. They haven't had that. But he turns it into the best wine they had ever tasted. Why? Because our God loves parties. Our God loves celebrations. He loves a good time. People accused Jesus everywhere he went. Of hanging out with the outsiders, of maybe drinking, of eating, of going to parties, of being around people that did, because he loved to celebrate people. That's what he was about. That's the kind of God that we serve. He was an expert in parties, and he invites us to be party people. So you might think, you might look at the world, or you might have grown up like I did, thinking that people were too crazy or they were too rambunctious or partied too much. The fact of the matter is, friends, we don't party enough. We should throw the best parties because it's God's idea. He celebrates. He is a God of celebration. We're going to look in Luke chapter 14. In verse 7, Jesus is walking the face of the earth. He's at a party. He's at a dinner party with some people. They're sitting around the table and Verse 7 says this When Jesus noticed the guests picking the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, then the host who invited you both will come and will say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the seat of least importance. Because everyone else, when you chose the best seat, everyone else filled in all the other seats. And now you're at the, you're at the bottom. Then humiliated, you will have to take the seat of least, least importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The first principle of party people is to make life a little less about you and a little more about others. The first principle of party people, which we are, is to make life a little bit less about you and a little bit more about other people. When I was younger, my, I was... Uh, Starting to go to like my first parties or events or something like that. I remember my dad sitting me down and telling me. He said, "When you show up to an event or a party, there's there's a couple of ways that you can go in. One way is to go in and be the, hey I'm here everybody that guy. Hey look at me, here I am, I arrived and you just like peacock that thing with your you know feathers and you're just like ah." Instagram, get it out, let's go, I'll light me up. It's, it's, it's showtime, can party can start, I'm here. Notice me, notice me, notice, look at me, look at me, look at me. I've arrived, I'm here. Or my dad said, you can show up and you can be the guy that says, there you are. Hey, I'm so glad to see you. Hey, I've been meaning to talk to you. Hey, I value you. Hey, you look great. I'm so glad that you exist, that you're alive. Let's celebrate you. Make life a little bit less about you and a little bit more about others. In other words, be a giver and not a taker. When you show up at a place like this or any place, show up and be someone who gives and elevates the environment, not someone who takes. When you show up and take, everybody leaves wanting. When you show up and give, everybody leaves satisfied. That's just the way it is. That's how God wired us, that we actually are more satisfied when we invest and pour into and care about other people. That's just the reality. So if you feel like you just really need a friend, be a friend. If you feel like you want to see generosity around you, be generous. If you feel like there's a lack of service in our church, in our community, somewhere else, then serve. Be someone who gives and not takes. For, for, the, for the sake of experiment in my near-death experiment as we wrap this up, I have a few experiments for you this week. The first is this. Experiment by elevating others and not yourself. What would it look like tomorrow as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go home to your family, whatever? What does it look like for you to elevate others and not yourself, to make life a little bit less about you, a little more about other people? We continue in this same parable. So Jesus is still at this table. is still the parties going on. And when Jesus said what he did, it says, One of those, in verse 15, at the table with him heard this and said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. In other words, it's another way of saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. We're like this, Jesus, you and me. Yeah, I, I'm on the inside track. I get what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're laying down. I'm tracking with you. We're good. And Jesus is like, clearly, dude, you're not. So here's, here we go. Here's, here's my next story. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Verse 18, but they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and and see it. Please excuse me, I can't come. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me, I can't come. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled and the blind and the lame. So the servant did. He said, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's always room. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Notice that Jesus is talking to religious people who cared a lot about where they ranked. If they were tight with God, if they were tight with the rabbi, if they, were had, if they had esteem in society, if they, were, if they were on the ups, and they cared about where they sat at the table, obviously, and they were clamoring for positions at the head of the table. And so when he says this, they're thinking to themselves, "What?" You're saying that, the, that, this, that this important person is throwing a party and he's inviting people out in the streets, people he doesn't know, A, people that are poor, B, and people that are like, they're, they, they, don't, they don't care. I mean, they're, they're, they're sinners, they're misbehaviors, they're, they're bad people. Like, we're the religious ones, we're clean and tidy and nice and we do all the right stuff. And Jesus is like, yep, that's what I'm saying. Invite them all. I want my house to be full. They are all welcome here. Here's the thing about misbehaviors. They're misbehaving because they still don't yet understand that their God sings and celebrates over them. And he says, bring them on. Bring them all in. So the second principle of party people is simply this. Don't say no for anyone. Invite everyone. Don't assume and say no. Don't withhold and say no for someone. Invite everyone. When I was in high school, I had a friend named Kylie Bivens She was a little bit more than a friend. I kind of had a crush on Kylie Bivens. And she was like the cutest, most athletic girl in the school, maybe like in the history of the town. And uh, she was really fast. Like she beat all the boys in elementary school. And then she played baseball as good as boys in like the pony leagues. And then she was a great, really great soccer player. And so when we were in high school, like I said, kind of had a crush. But I really cared about her. And I invited her and her friends. And I would always, I was always invited to church. She was going through hard stuff at home. Her dad had an affair and left, and, and she was kind of broken up about it and didn't, didn't know which way was up and down. And, and, and so I just was like, you should, you know, I, I told her you know, maybe in different ways, God loves you and God, you matter. And, but I said, you should just come to church. You should be a part. I invited her. Never came. She never came, all through high school. Then she graduated. She got a full scholarship to Santa Clara. She was a great soccer player there. She went and played for the Olympic team for a while and played professionally back east. And I just heard through a friend, you know, kind of her journey, mainly her accolades and sports and stuff like that. Never talked to her. Years went by, probably probably about seven years. And out of nowhere, I get a message on Facebook. It says, Caleb, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I wanted you to know that God finally got my attention. And she said, thank you for telling me about God those years ago. Thank you for inviting me even though I never came. I didn't show up, but I was listening, she said. And then she goes, "I'm going to be in Southern California in a few weeks. Would you baptize me?" What a cool thing, right? Now, now God could have done that in all kinds of different ways. He didn't need me, but I got to play a role. It's one of the highlights Here's one of the highlights of my kind of friendship life. Baptizing Kylie Bivens, married to some baseball player and has a great life on the East Coast. Loving Jesus and having, you know, peace in her life and knowing what God has for her now. And I got to be a part of that. I got to play a role in that. Now, I also want to admit to you, there have been many more occasions where I was a coward, where I didn't invite, where I assumed that maybe someone was... Not interested, too popular, too attractive, too famous, too busy, or too just like mean and big and ugly and scary. I don't know. And I said no for them for whatever reason. Don't say no for anyone. Invite them in. There's room. Everyone is welcome. So for an experiment this week, I wanna I want to encourage you. Invite someone. Invite someone. Invite someone to church. Use, use this. Use this. This is that our next series is going to be about how people have misunderstandings of God and what God really is like and how God is love. And we're going to look through the book of Luke. Invite them. If they're not ready to come to church, invite them to coffee. Invite them to a movie. Maybe they just need cheesecake. You know? <laughs> invite them somewhere. Invite. Welcome. Be with. Show them how God celebrates over you and that you desire to celebrate them. And the third principle of being a party person is to prioritize celebration. Prioritize celebration in your own life. I'm gonna come up in a few minutes. I'm gonna share a little bit more about that. But right now, I want you to watch this video. You never know when it's your last dance. You notice that that girl, she didn't, she didn't for her you know, parting time with her dad, sit down at a table and walk through the will. That video wasn't shot on a golf course or in a boardroom. She wanted to throw her dad a party because he wasn't going to be at the most significant event in her life, and so she just made one up to have that time because she understood what really matters and because she wanted to elevate her dad and that she wanted to have that memory. Where do you need to throw a party? Where do you need to live with a sense of urgency, a sense of appreciating the things and the people that mean the most, the time that you have to make a big deal about somebody else, to celebrate Something small to celebrate a marker in your life or in your kid's life or or friend's life, whatever that looks like. Where do you need to throw a party? What does that look like for you? It's interesting to me in the the passage that we read from Luke 14. They all made excuses that Jesus mentions three guys. And they gave excuses about why they couldn't come to the party. Look at what they said in verse 18. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, so I must go see it. In other words, I, I have an investment that I have to manage and care for. I can't come to the party. I'm, I'm too busy over here. The next guy said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. In other words, I, I, I have business. I have things. I have things that are happening, and I got to pay attention to that. I got to build this thing up over here. I got I to keep processing. I got to keep running with this thing. I got to keep up the workload. And then, and then in verse 20, it's funny because still another said, I just got married, so I'm not allowed to come. <laughs> but there's the same excuses today, right? I, I got this investment. I got this business. I'm too busy. I just got married. There's always excuses. What's your excuse? Why aren't you celebrating? Now, I know that we have, we have people, very dear friends of ours, in this church right now who have just Suffered some great loss, and there is a time for mourning. But for the rest of us, this is a time to celebrate. Every day is another day to party with God, as Margie said. That you are alive. This is the God who sings over you. This is the God who breathes life into your lungs. This is the God who's given you everything that you have all the home, the money, the relationships. It's all a gift, it's from Him what are your excuses? Put them aside and let's think of ways that we can party. That's my simple experiment, this last experiment. Throw a party. Sometime between now and Thanksgiving, throw a party. If you're someone who says, I'm just not that outgoing or I don't know that many people, then partner up with someone else in our church and throw a dang party. You can do this. We will help you. There's coaching that we can provide for you on how to throw a party. Just do it. You never know. Make a big deal about somebody else. Elevate somebody else. Prioritize celebration. Just do it. Make it happen. Have fun. Enjoy the God who sings over you. And invite other people in. That's who we are. We are party people. Now, as we got the grilled cheese and we got the, the, the DJ Graham out there. But let's just start right in here. Would you stand up? And let's sing. And if you're... I'm not really...